Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Man show here with Keith Smith of Yahoo Sports, Real GM, front office show, Celtics blog. He's all over the place. Keith, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yes, indeed. Now, Keith, I want to talk to you about our Atlanta Hawks here, man. We had a big offseason, fragrancy, bolstering our bench, getting some veterans, veterans around. What are your thoughts, first and foremost, on what Trevor Slink and the Hawks did this offseason here and our shortened condensed offseason we had so far here? <laughs> yeah, short and condensed is the exact way to put it, man. It was it was started and was done in what felt like five minutes. Yes. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it was wild, but yeah, the the Hawks cut is better than you know just about anybody in the league. I think uh, there there was this uh, perception out there that maybe last season they were going to make that push and be be in the playoff mix, and things just didn't really kind of go their way. And I think a big part of that was they didn't have any bench depth. They, they just they didn't have much coming off the bench. And anytime a guy was out with an injury or like when John Collins was suspended, they really struggled. And then clearly anytime Trey Young came off the floor, they really struggled to get the offense going. And I think the challenge there was, you know, they added Jeff Teague midseason and he helped out quite a bit, I think, on that second unit, just stabilizing things. Some, but but that wasn't enough. So now uh, they hit the offseason with more cap space than anybody, and they put it to work. They you know had Bogdan Bogdanovich, Danilo Gallinari, uh, Chris Dunn, Rajon Rondo, Onyeka uh, Kongwu at the draft. Now, now this is a team that goes 10, 11 guys deep. It, it's funny, the question for me has almost turned to, do they maybe have one guy too many? You know, yes. is somebody going to kind of be out of the rotation? And, you know, that, that, that's, you know, put a, it's not necessarily the worst problem to have, but Lloyd Pierce is going to have to have some difficult conversations just about uh, every night with someone, you know, as long as the whole roster is healthy and available. But, you know, that, that's not the end of the world. I'd rather have that than last year where, you know, you were turning to guys who probably were better off in the G League or, you know, being your uh, third string guys versus your backups. So, yeah, absolutely. I added a lot. Um you know, they, they sacrificed their future flexibility roster-wise and cap space-wise, but I think it was the right move. It was time to push in around the kids and, and have the right veterans and, and really try to make this a playoff team. Now, Keith, my question is, how does that what I mean for Herder, Reddish, and those young guys in Hunter? Because, you know, you add in a Gallinari, a Bogdan Badanovich, a Rondo, those minutes that were there last year are now dry, are dried up some. So, like you said, who, knowing that we're our young team that's rebuilding and retooling, 
how do you make that work? Trying, trying to win now and get those guys experience at the same time. Yeah, that, that's that's the difficult thing, right? For Lloyd Pierce now is Travis Schlink did his his job. Now it's up to Pierce to kind of let it all shake out. And and I think you're okay for the most part because what you're gonna do is I'm assuming Bogdanovich is gonna start which is going to push either Herter or Hunter to the bench. I think it should be Herter because I think Hunter it gives them a defensive presence on the wing that, that they wouldn't have otherwise in the starting group. And that gives them some switchability with him and Collins and Bogdanovich can, you know, do some things and switch around and help uh, Trey Young some. And now they've got Clint Capella, who's almost kind of like a new addition because they never played a game for them after being acquired. So, so you, you've got this grouping now where what you're going to see is, you know, who, who goes to the bench. So like I said, I think it'll probably be Herder. We know Gallinari is going to come off the bench. So that's, that's okay um, there. And then does that push Reddish to out of the rotation? Is he going to be the backup small forward? What happens with Dunn? What happens with Rondo? I know Chris Dunn's maybe not going to be available uh, right away to start the season. So that'll clear that up just a little bit. But yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, again, they went from having, you know, maybe five, six, seven NBA players to now they've got, you know, 11 quality guys. And, and to your point, some of those are young guys who need need the minutes. So that's that's going to be tough to, to work out. That, that's a that's a tricky, you know, balancing act. That's going to be a difficult thing for Lloyd Pierce to figure out. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you hope uh, in this year where, you know, let's knock on wood and hope nobody's knocked out by, uh, you know, COVID or anything like that. But every team's, you know, pretty well prepared that that's going to be the case. And the Hawks are in a position where if that does happen, at least now they know they're turning to another guy who's probably pretty good in their place. And I'm um, thinking about John Collins, Keith. Um, I know he wants a max contract. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been told that by multiple people told me that. And I know it to be true. So, I know you got to max out Trey Young next year, max out John Collins. So you have two young guys maxed out if you do that, and your cap is tied up for years now with pieces who you believe are, are key to the future, right, which gives yeah. all flexibility going forward. Would you max out John Collins, and what do you see his value to be? I know he wants to max. What would be your thing for him? Would it be five years, $100 million, or five years, ninety, Or does you give him what he really wants? Is that max deal? Yeah, you know, it's funny. My, uh, my my dad had a saying when I was a kid growing up that went, wish in one hand and uh, something in the other and see which one fills up faster. Um, you know, I think that's kind of where we're at with John Collins. You know, he, he can want the max extension all he wants, but he's not going to get it. I don't think he, you know, in order to get that, you have to be a guy who's either been an all-star in your first few years. You need to be right on the borderline of being an all-star. And I say this as someone who absolutely loved John Collins and loved his game. I, I think, you know, this is a guy, when you can score 20 points per game, get 10 rebounds per game, and you can do it with the efficiency and shooting percentages he has, and he's continuing to add the three-pointer to his game, that's, you know, somebody I would pay, you know, considerable money for, but I don't think the Hawks are going to do it, because I think what they have to be wary of is what you said is, you know, Trey Young's getting a max deal next next year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know that's coming. 
But now that you've committed so much money to Danilo Gallinari, you've got a Kong Wu who kind of plays the same position as Collins in a lot of ways. Um, I think what they're going to do is they're, unless they can get Collins on something that seems pretty team friendly, I think what's going to ultimately happen here is, is he is going to go into um, uh, free agency next year, restricted free agency next year. And they'll, they'll kind of let it play out at that point because Giving him if he won't come down off a max deal into something that's in maybe let's call it the 16, 17 million a year range to start out with, then I think the Hawks are going to say, yeah, let's just let this thing play out. We'll see where we're at if a trade develops in season or if something opens up next off season. We'll we'll figure it out then. But but it does become difficult to commit that much money uh, to 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 those few guys on the roster, especially when you got to build out the rest of the team around them. And my other thought was this, Keith, that you maybe get rid of John Collins to pay a, maybe a Reddish or a Hunter down the road, looking at that down the road, too, because you get to look at those yep. books all the way down the road. So he might want that, like you said, but in reality, his contract is going to determine how flexible the Hawks can be going forward. Yep. If, knowing you got those young guys in the pipeline right behind him and Trey Young. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that that's the, the tough part, too. And there's a question of, how well does he fit alongside Trey Young? Because offensively, it's a fantastic fit, but neither one of them is great defenders. I think Collins can be passable if he has other good defenders around him. I think he's got some of the skill sets and tools there. But but if, if Young and Collins are your backbone, those are guys that are very much considered to be one-way players. <clears throat> Excuse me. They, they play you know, offense, so they don't play a whole lot of defense. Yes. Um, Collins probably also should play some small ball five. You know, on occasion too, and, and I think you you've got that thing you got to figure out as well is you know if you've got Capella and Okongwu, what are you going to do? Can you play Collins and Gallinari together? Yeah, offensively you can, sure that'd be fine, but defensively that's going to be kind of a mess. So um, you know that that means you're probably having to play Capella and Dunn out there with those guys, and that becomes that what they add you know um, for floor spacing takes away a little bit of what uh, Dunn and Capella add defensively, so that that starts to become you know a little bit of a offset there so I think those are the questions you're asking with John Collins is you know what is his fit going forward I think if you could um, you know swing a deal for a more defensive minded player who fits in better around some of these offensive minded pieces that they've added this offseason that might be the move versus giving him that new big contract and I read it on your Twitter feed that you Danilo has a partial guarantee in that third year so it's pretty much not really guaranteed but it pay him five million or or pay him the whole 20 there. So uh, that's kind of a little cute move by Travis Link there to make sure, you know, protect the Hawks against him aging out bad at 34 years old there. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's that's what you do with that. That is, you know, even if it's a, you know, slight overpay on the first couple of years, that's fine. That's not the end of the world because you can get out of it pretty easy on that third year. And I think I think they'll be okay, though. I think Gallinari, you know, what, what he'll become, I think, by the time this contract ends, he'll be more of a, your, your, your uh, standstill spot-up shooter. Then he will be the guy who can, you know, create a little bit of offense off the dribble and, and do some things, um, you know, as a pick-and-pop guy. I think he'll be more just your kind of um, straight floor spacer than he will be anything else. And that's not the end of the world. We just saw Davis Bertans for that role, you know, get paid $80 million over the next five years. So I think, you know, Gallinari's a guy who that, that's what he eventually will, will progress into. It's just going to take him a little bit to get there. Now, Keith, in Eastern Conference, I was telling people here, I said, I feel like the Hawks are 
at best in that play-in game. That's seven, eight, nine, ten. The Allen they're better than the top six teams in the Eastern Conference. So, and I just feel like you know we paid a lot of money to get better. Yes, most only, but we're still kind of in that seven to ten range. So we're we're building still. We're not quite there yet. So. What are your thoughts on that 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 mindset that hey we're gonna, we're gonna pay to get in the playoffs but not really be to contend against the top sixteen in the Eastern Conference we had right now already? Yeah, I think things in the NBA take steps, right? You you don't you don't go from way down here to way up here uh, in a year. That that's not uh, something you know that happens all that often, unless you know a team really had injuries or something you know odd went on. So I think what what you're gonna see um, happen with the Hawks is you you will see them take that step into being right in that playoff mix. And and I'm with you because I think. Uh, you know, Boston, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, uh, Indiana, Miami, those teams are all clearly better. Philadelphia is another team there. So that's probably your top seven in the East. And that, then you're going to get into, you know, all right, well, who, who's next behind those guys? And Toronto as well. I left them out of that seven. Um, you know, then it becomes – now what the Hawks have done is one of those teams will fall out of that seven. We know that that happens every year. Somebody will have injuries or something and their, their season will go, you know, the wheels will come off and they'll fall down. But Atlanta has put themselves in the mix with whoever that team is. Then the Orlando magic, the, um, I think the Hornets will probably be in that mix this year. I think the Wizards will be in there uh, this year as long as they have better health. So those are the teams that, that they're kind of competing with now. Uh, maybe the Chicago Bulls, if they can get healthy and their young guys take a step forward. Those are the That's the group Atlanta is you know, competing with now to try to get into the playoffs. And I think they have a good chance. I think what's different this year is, right, you don't have to be eight anymore. You can be nine yeah. or ten and still get there because of that playing tournament. So, so yeah, that, that, I, I think you're right. I think you got them in the right place. But I don't think spending the money to get there is the worst thing because I think, you know, you got to spend money eventually, right? They, they were, you know, you can't sit on, you know, 40, 50, 60 million dollars in cap space every year and just, you know, hope for the best. You, you had to do something to make sure Trey Young was convinced you were trying to win. And, you know, that you want to be one of those those uh, best teams in the league. So I think they spent it wisely. I think they they added, you know, good players who fit around what they're doing. And then I think well, what you'll see you know, ultimately with them is this year is the building year, get into the mix. Then Young, Collins, Okongwu, Hunter, Herder, Reddish, you know, all the young guys take a step forward. And then next season is about, you know, trying to get into that, you know, mix for home court advantage. You know, that, that, that'll be the next step. And then, then you know, from there, it, you know, it depends, right? Because then a lot of things have to go right. You have to probably make a couple other moves to really get into title contender status. But it's all steps. You're going from 14th in the East to into the playoff mix. That's pretty good. You know, be happy with that this season. As long as you're playing meaningful games in, I almost said April because that's what it usually is. <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, late, late in the year, you know, May, May June, um, yes. you're, you're happy, right? As long as you're playing meaningful games then, uh, all the way, you know, get, getting into the to the playoffs, you're, you're feeling pretty good. And personally, I, I want Lloyd Pitts to do well because I like him personally. <coughs> excuse, okay. excuse me. I, I can personally, you know, and, and I know – when Greg Foster left, they hired Naomi Millen, and I know that's not good because if he doesn't go very well, last guarantee you there's a deal, you know he's going to be in on the head coach, and then Lloyd's gone. So personally, I want Lloyd to do well because I like him a lot. I just don't want him to that had to happen to him like that because I saw what happened and he hired the oh, that's pretty much one Millen. So you know what time of the yeah. it is. So I'm worried about that for Lloyd because he's a good friend of mine. 
Yeah, I'm with you. It, it, I think the um, you know ownership without openly come out and saying you know we need to be in the playoff mix this year and be a playoff team. They they basically said that, and I think that that put uh, Travis Schlenk and Lloyd Pierce you know kind of in a tough spot. Schlenk had to go you know he had to go spend that cap space, add guys, and now Pierce has to figure it out on court. Otherwise, yeah, the reality is if this team is you know if we're 40 games into the season and they're like 15 and 25. They're going to make a change, you know. That that's you know unfortunate, but we just you know we've both done this long enough to know you know that that's going to be how it goes, right? They they're they're going to make that change. Nate McMillan, who is a uh, you know quality you know NBA head coach, he's been around a long time with a couple different franchises. He's kind of there now as the guy in waiting to to take over that spot if that happens, um, you know. So hopefully you know that won't be. Hopefully they'll be you know, 20 and 20 or 25 and 15 or you know, something in that range. And then they're feeling pretty good, you know, as we hit that kind of midpoint of this season marker and they're, they're, they're feeling like, all right, well, we're going to get into to this playoff run. But yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, especially this year where the season's kind of really split in halves though, the way they're doing it because of the coronavirus concerns. I think you're going to see a lot of teams use that halfway marker as a chance to really make some assessments about their future and what do they want to do because the trade deadline is going to come about a week or two after that break happens. And then what, what you'll see is I think his teams will really look at it and say, all right, you know, is it change, you know, with the roster? Is it a change with the coaching staff? You know, or in Atlanta's case, is the change does it need to be in the front office? Yeah, they're right. And, now, I know, know, know you covered the Celtics as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and, and my guy, Al Horford, did it last year. He got that. After that, I got a big deal from Philadelphia. Gordon Hayward did it and got a big deal, deal from Charlotte. Did you imagine ever seeing Al Horford get what he got from Philadelphia last offseason and Gordon Hayward getting what he got from Charlotte this offseason? I mean, those both shocked me, Keith. I'm, I'm shocked, brother. I'm like, really? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I thought both of those guys in their respective years were going to settle right around four years, $100 million. Um, Well, when it pushed up over that, I was stunned. You know, I think Horford's deal, the benefit there is it does decline year to year, and his, par- his last year is only partially guaranteed. It's about half guaranteed. Um, you know, Hayward's is, you know, that's $120 million and he's going to get every dime of that $120 million. Now, I think the difference is Philadelphia was really shocking because it wasn't a real good roster fit for Horford. And we saw that, right? Now Daryl Morey comes in, and one of his first things he does, he moves them and trades them and trades them away and uh, gives away a first-round pick to do so and gets, you know, a couple other guys uh, back in his place that I think fit better in, in Danny Green, um, you know, and some of the other guys they added this offseason. So so that that's, uh, you know, deal, deal one there. And now with Hayward um, – I, it's the number. It's you know four full years at you know 120 million is shocking for a guy with his injury history. He hasn't been healthy over the last three years in Boston. He's missed considerable time. Uh, you know clearly with the the broken leg. He told us right before the start of the bubble that he has constant pain in that leg, and it's just you know sometimes it gets so bad he can't play. So so that's something you know I th- think you you have to kind of you know really raise an eyebrow at. But I get it a little bit from the Hornets' standpoint. 
they are in a position where they have to overpay to get free agents. You know, no, no one's just going to, you know, go there for the same kind of deal that they can get, you know, four or five other places. So I think that becomes a little bit of the challenge for the Hornets is, all right, well, you know, we got to overpay. So it is what it is there. Um, you know, we'll, we'll figure that out, you know, as we go um, in this, but, but boy, that's a big number. I'm worried what happens in year three and four of that yes. contract. If he can't get healthy, that's going to be pretty ugly on their books. I thought the Knicks would be the one to do something that stupid. I don't want it. You know, what's funny, though, right? The, the Knicks have been super patient this year. They, yes, I you was know, They shocked. kept the powder dry. Yeah, it's a new new front office there. They think doing things a little bit different. I I, I just did a podcast yesterday where, where it was all about the Knicks. And, and I said, you know, I really like what they did. I think they added veterans. That makes sense. They're guys who can push the young players, but they're also not guys you feel like you have to play over any of the young guys, um, you know, and they, they, they still have $18 million in cap space. So they're just kind of, you know, hang, hanging out there with, you know, all right, well, you know, if they're going to be the team, every trade rumor that comes up that involves big money, they're going to be involved as the third team in, you know, this year where it's going to be, you know, oh, we could send them to the Knicks, you know, for, for you know, this player and, you know, the rest of their cap space and those kind of things. So I like what they did this year compared to, you know, the last few years where it feels like everything they do is shortcutting the rebuilding process every way possible. But the Knicks also will be very handy for those who want to get on the tax line, those few teams who can yeah. get under the tax line, the trade deadline, because I'm like, okay, I'll I give you a, few, a, a top 55, we take the second round pick <laughs> to dump the salary off because yeah. I get on this tax line because I just see that. Who thought the Knicks actually beat somebody that can take money in and get draft picks <laughs> for it? Whoever thought they would be. But 2020 is really ready to look ahead again, man. The Knicks will be. That's it, yeah. You know, but be- better than, uh, you know, five overpaid power forwards. Just to spend the money just because you got it to spend. You know, yeah, absolutely. They're they're in a really good position compared to where they've been previous years. Okay, see, um, Keith, I tried to explain to my list last week that, that the Al Hofer trade is about them acting as an over-the-cap team. They're actually under the cap, but the exceptions push them yep. over the cap so they can have the biannual, the, the non-taxpaying mid-level. It's all about – being over, get the benefits of being over the cap because sometimes actually it's better to be over the cap because you can do more things with less and still get stuff done that way. So explain to my listeners, Keith, because you're the expert, not me, but explain it to them <laughs> about that right there, man. Yeah, well, what they did when they traded Stephen Adams, they created what at the time was the biggest trade exception in the league of twenty-seven million dollars. Um, you know, and then when they moved off of uh, Kelly Oubre, they created another big trade exception. After, you know, they got him in the Chris Paul trade, and then traded him by himself into the Warriors trade exception. And then when they did the sign and trade with the Hawks for Danilo Gallinari, that created a nineteen million dollar trade exception. So they have three of the biggest trade exceptions in the NBA. They think they're actually two, three, and four behind the giant one the Celtics got for Gordon Hayward um, as they structured that as a sign of trade. So what those do is now Sam Presti has the ability to, very similar to what we were just talking about with the Knicks, team wants to get rid of, you know, let's say $20 million off their cap, you know, just to you know lower their tax bill, create flexibility, whatever it is. Sam Presti's going to be the first guy to, you know, be like, hey, I'm here, you know, well, what what do you want to do? You know, send them to me and give me a first round pick, you know, for it and I'll eat that contract for you. And that, that's going to be what, what you, what you're going to see happen. And they acquired Al Horford. Not unfortunately, you know, and I'm a huge Al Horford guy. I loved him with the Celtics. Um, But when they acquired Al Horford, they acquired him as less a basketball player, more for the first round pick 
they came along with eating his contract, but with the hopes of let's get this guy to play pretty good ball this year, maybe into next season. And then they can flip him for, you know, future, you know, pick or young player or something in a trade down the line. And that, that could be certainly something we could see happen because I think Al Horford, when he's in a better situation, still has plenty left. To, to give a team. I, th- I think he can still really play. Um, you know, I just think that situation in Philadelphia was such a mess, but, but that's what Oklahoma city is doing. It's, you know, as a cap guy, you know, my favorite thing going on in the league right now is they're over the salary cap, but they're under the salary floor because they don't have enough guys um, to make big money other than really Horford to meet the salary floor. Um, but they've got those giant trade exceptions, which count against the tax, but they're not real salary. So they're over the cap, but under the floor, which is just, you know, a cork we've never seen before. Most definitely. And also like what Memphis did, Keith, um, they're getting better from thin, keeping those young guys on the team control. They can grow and make better all these years. Memphis is going to be a team to contend within a year or two because of John Morant's just going to get better and better and better. Yeah, John Moran is, is fantastic. You know, I think we had high hopes for him coming in, and then he was better than what I think any of us thought he would be. Usually rookie point guards take, you know, a year or two to really kind of figure it out. And and he, you know, was, you know, just something else right out of the gate. And Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark, uh, Dylan Brooks, you know, there, there's a bunch of guys. And then, then they hit in their trades. They hit on guys who make sense. You know, DeAnthony Melton blossomed there and really became a you know, key player. I think he might start early this season as it looks like they're going to be without Jackson and, um, and uh, uh, gosh, Justice Winslow um, to at least start out the year. It sounds like, like they, they may either miss or be limited to start the season. But, yeah, they ton, ton of, you know, talent there. I think, you know, similar-ish to the Hawks. Um, they're eventually going to have to make some moves to, to bring in some veterans around those guys. And they, they, they may – they maybe they do that via cap space, but they could as you know as well do that you know through trades by moving some guys. But but yeah, it's a really fun young core in Memphis. Tim Keith, people out looking at for me first is Portland because they made us a lot of moves. Derrick Jones Jr., Rodney Hood's back. My buddy Robert Covington, TSU, where I went to school at, is, is back out there where I'm got Mello. And you know Collins is out for a while, but hey. Terry Stotts has a lot of options that they can play different ways and get things done in that Western Conference there. Yeah, absolutely. Portland was one of those teams when you looked at it uh, last year in the bubble, by the time they got through the seeding games, it, it was a massive roster. Um, they, they were down, you know, Damian Lillard got hurt in the playoffs and Yusuf Nurkic was better than I think anybody expected him to be. But when Trevor Reza opted out, they just didn't have what they needed. They, they didn't have, you know, they, they were down to about four or five NBA uh, level players by the time, um, you know, the playoffs were going on. So I think what their, their focus was, we need to add depth. And boy, did they, you know, you mentioned, you know, Derek Jones Jr., Robert Covington, it already sounds like those two are going to start at the forward spots for the Blazers, um, which I really like, uh, you know, Covington's floor spacing ability and defense around Lillard and McCollum is huge. And then uh, Jones gives them that kind of athletic component that they don't really have uh, out of that starting group there. And I think that'll be, you know, really fun. I think think he's someone, you know, as you're focused on Lillard, McCollum, and Nurkic and keeping an eye on Covington as a shooter, Jones is going to be that guy who's sneaking in along the baseline for dunks and things like that. And, and he's, you know, very good at playing without the ball in his hands. And then off their bench now, you know, you got Melo, you got Rodney Hood, who sounds like he's back and looks pretty good after surgery. Um, they brought back Ennis Cantor, who played the best basketball of his career while with the Trailblazers a couple seasons ago. So, you know, that step, uh, when Zach Collins is fully ready to go, you know, he's a young player that they still like. Um, 
they they added uh gosh i'm forgetting somebody um you know i'm gonna have to take a peek here at my sheets um Trent you know, too. For, he got gear, gear Trent as well yeah yeah gary Trent. yeah that's who i was forgetting you know he really blossomed in the bubble and then harry giles who's a player that, you know, a lot of people really like um, as well. So, yeah, that team went from having, you know, four or five NBA-level guys um, down to now they've got, you know, kind of similar to what we're talking about to start the show. Now they've got 10 or 11 guys. The difference is a couple of their guys are veteran guys who know, you know, hey, if I don't play for a couple of weeks, it's fine. My turn will come. You know, I'm not too worried about it. And Houston is just a mess, man. I just don't know what to say <laughs> about the Rockets, man. Uh, and, you know, they're trying to, you know, make it work. And they did. Hey, they, they traded – Two advertising contracts with Wall for Westbrook with the fit going there to take on that that deal, but man, I just don't know about Houston anymore because I know I know from talking to people who down there who told me it was a mess, and I know it's a mess. You can tell it's a mess, but what do you think about that whole situation with Derek, James Harden and those guys, man, going forward? And I feel bad for Coach Alice as well, getting his first job and have him deal with this yeah. right off off the bat. Yeah, I think that's the the part I feel worst about. You know, Steven Silas, first job, um, you know, so it's just, you know, first, first training camp ever, and he has to spend every, all, every minute of it answering questions about a guy who, who's not even there. I know he just reported yesterday, but, you know, we'll see. So I think, you know, I think Harden is now at the point where now he's there. I, I don't think James Harden's the kind of guy who's going to be, you know, a problem while he's there. I think he's going to continue to make it known he doesn't want to be there and he would rather be traded. Um, but I don't think he's the kind of guy who's not going to play hard or, you know, starts, uh, you know, say, oh, you know, my back's bugging me. I want to sit out. He's not a guy who's missed games in his career. So I th think they'll be okay. But clearly that's kind of the, the – the, we're, we're all waiting for the other shoe to drop, you know, with that team. And they, they made moves that made sense if they keep Harden. Uh, I think Christian Wood is really going to break out and be a you know, big-time player that, you know, everybody will know his name. You know, basketball nerds saw how good he was last year for the Pistons when, you know, everybody else, unless Pistons fans, stopped watching. Um, you know, it's, you know, he, he's going to be really good for them. They, they added, you know, a couple other nice role players around there. You know, maybe DeMarcus Cousins can get back. You know, we'll see. I think John Wall is a better fit next to Harden if they keep Harden because I think Wall can actually shoot a little bit as a spot-up guy um, where that's not Westbrook's game at all. So I think, think that, you know, works out a little bit better uh, there. So, you know, they're, they're, they're – uh, they're an interesting mix if they have Harden. If, you know, not, then it becomes what do you get for him? You know, well, what do you need to do um, there if you, you know, make a move? If you can get, you know, a nice package that includes, you know, some younger guys, but guys who are already ready to play and ready to go, that's a team that can still be in the mix for the playoffs because if Wall is healthy and can be kind of what he once was, you know, he's pretty good. Like I said, Wood's good. P.J. Tucker's still there. Still got Eric Gordon, who's still, you know, one of the better scorers off the bench you know, when he's healthy. So that's a team that can still be pretty good. But it's all going to just kind of depend on, you know, what happens with James Harden and how long does he stay a member of the Rockets. Got two more for you, Keith. Um, New Orleans. Uh, my man, Stan Van Gundy's down there. I love that dude. He's fun, he's fun to talk to the show, man. He was always great to me. Um, he's down there. Reddick is there from the with the Magic there. You got Lonzo Ball, Ingram on a max contract now. A lot of young guys with Zion Williamson as well. So what are your thoughts on the Pelicans and playing for Stan Van Gundy where he's going to make them defend first and foremost. Then he goes with his uh maybe one out, one in, four out offense or however he wants to do it with those guys he has down there in New Orleans now. 
Yeah, I, I don't know that the pieces are quite there to, to do that, you know, um, you know four-out offense uh, like we've seen them have success with before because that's not really Zion's game. So unless you're going to play Zion extensive minutes at the five, which I don't think they're going to do because they, they went and traded for Steven Adams. So I think what you're going to see is Van Gundy do, you know, a little bit of a different tweak on things, you know, they'll play a little bit bigger, but I think Steven Adams is really going to help that team, you know, learn how to defend. I think clearly as a screener, he's going to help open things up uh, for, you know, Brandon Ingram in the pick and roll game. Um, Ingram's a better passer than I think a lot of people give him credit for. So I think, you know, you're going to see him do a lot of the ball handling there. Eric Bledsoe, Lonzo Ball, you know, they're, they're, you know, two guys who can do, you know, different things in the backcourt. So that, that'll be interesting. Ball has, you know, enough uh, size that he can defend on the wing. Uh, you know, really let Bledsoe kind of take the smaller guards. So, so yeah, they, that's that's going to be an interesting group. But really, you know, as much as they made all these kind of tweaks around, you know, Ingram and Zion, it's all about those two. It's about what those two do. Um, it's about Zion staying healthy and Ingram staying healthy and continuing to blossom. And if they do, everything's going to be fine. If, you know, only one of them hits or neither one of them gets to the levels, you know, that we all think they might, then, you know, the Pelicans are, you know, they're probably kind of stuck in this, you know, bar, well, we can be kind in the playoff mix, but we're really not quite there. Um, you know, it all really depends on what's with those two guys. The good news is I think they're both going to get there. So I think it'll all be fine in New Orleans in the end. Guys with the Clippers, man, um, uh, I thought they were bringing a point guard because they needed one very, very badly. It's not Pat Beverly Williams. And they can brought in Ibaka, Batum, and a lot of little small pieces bringing back Jackson as well off the bench. So what are your thoughts on the Clippers? Are, are there are teams going to make a move? They don't need the hard cap as well, knowing they need to bring in a point guard to help their roster out. And also brought back Morris on the, on the bird rights deal the four years yep. there. Yeah, and they had to bring back Morris, right? Because they, they didn't have anybody else at that at that position. They gave up a first round pick to get him, so so you had to bring him back. I think Abaka is actually an upgrade for them over Montrezl Harrell. It's not that he's a better player than Montrezl Harrell, but I think the fit is much better because I think he brings a stretch element to, to that big man position that they haven't had. Um, so I think that's going to be really important for them. And then I think as you um, you know look at it, it's you know it's kind of of if Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are a little bit happier with the guys they have now, then that's going to make a huge difference. And, you know, Ty Lue kind of came in there and basically said, yeah, I was here last year, but now I'm running things and we're going to do it a little bit different. And, you know, some of that, uh, you know, noise about guys being mad about preferential treatment and all that stuff, that's, you know, first order of businesses, shut all that down, get, get that all, all that out of there. Because is it preferential treatment to keep Kawhi Leonard healthy? Because we saw what happens when you do that. You're, you're a title contender, right? So, yeah, I don't really care if he plays on a Tuesday in Charlotte, right, or some Thursday in, you know, February in Orlando. Who cares? That doesn't matter. You need him to play against the Lakers in the conference finals. Yes. That, that's when you need him on the court. So so I, I think that's what they're going to do. You know, they're, they're going to get things set up so, so that those guys are, you know, do, doing the right thing. They, they've still got all sorts of depth um, that they can go to. Point guard. Yeah, it might be be a problem, but I think what you're focused on there is Patrick Beverly. If he can keep him healthy, he's a good fit because he doesn't need the ball. He'll you know hit the occasional jump shot and he'll defend and you know do all the Patrick Beverly things you love when he's on your team and hate when he's not. Um, you know, and then then you know Lou Williams can still be that second unit anchor, you know, and really say you know go out there get us buckets. 
do your thing there. And you know, I think you'll see him and Serge Ibaka work well in the pick and pop game. Um, is that that'll become, I think, staple of that backup unit. And then Ibaka, I think, is a better closing option in games for them at the five than, uh, than Montrezl Harrell was because he has the ability to block some shots and step out and hit jump shots. Um, and he can still do some of the rebounding. He's not the energy guy, Harrell is. So, you know, you, you may, you know, again, that that uh, random Tuesday in Charlotte when, you know, nobody kind of has it, you could throw Harrell in there and, you know, his energy gives everybody a lift. But, you know, in the playoffs, you saw he kind of wasn't playable down the stretch in games yes. because that's not who he is. So so I think Ibaka, you know, really fits there well. So I, I think in the end, you know, the Clippers are, you know, as long as they can get back some of the – some of the, get back and get away from some of that nonsense that was going on in the locker room, they, they're a team that I think was right back in the title mix. You tell us where they can follow you on, on Patreon and uh, also your Real GM, Yahoo. Tell them all about your stuff, man, so they can make sure they follow you, get all this great knowledge you give them today here all year long. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at KeithSmithNBA. There's a tweet pinned to the top of my timeline, which will take you to my Patreon, which has all my salary sheets there now. Um, you can find all that information there. You can you know pick pick that up. Um, times are tough, so don't feel like you got to give a big donation. But you know you, you can do even a dollar a month. You know that's helpful and that that helps me and uh, you know all that. Um, you know we're talking about how cold it is. That'll help keep the heat on here here in Orlando because I had to turn it on today. Um, and then you can find my work at yahoo sports real gm and if you're looking for celtic specific coverage you can find that as part of a celtics blog as part of sb nation yes indeed but keith i'll tell you what man thank you for your time as always good to talk to you again my brother i love your work man you do great stuff thank you for helping people understand the salary cap you definitely help me all the time brother you just don't know <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate it man thank you so much you all stay safe you and yours you think, have happy holidays to you, brother. Be good in Orlando, man. Can't hope to come down there once everything clears up, man. I, I miss the 407 and 321 we'll down see there. You. <laughs> Indeed, brother. Hey, be good, brother. You too. All right. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.